Welcome, everybody. It's the We Are MCBS podcast. Today is March 7th. I'm Jason Gillette. I'm here with the entire Hall of Fame 9 podcast crew. And they are so excited to be here. And I'm also here with program director Kathy Craven. Hey, Kathy. Hey, it's great to be here with these podcast rock stars. Thanks, I'm Jason. Absolutely glad to have you. They are rock stars, and I'm, I'm glad to have you here to talk to them. You're going to be talking to a couple today that interviewed Kim Alpert during the right. Hall of Fame festivities. Looking forward to that. Well, it's now. Okay, let's go with it right now, Jason. All right, so um, why don't you guys introduce yourselves, uh, the Kim Alpert interview team. Hello, I am Kevin Drake. And I'm General Mestica. All right, guys, so it's take yourself back to when you're about to sit down with the Kim Alpert. Um, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking? You're about to sit right in front of that mic. What's going through your mind? Well, what really went through my mind uh, before sitting down and actually interviewing her was a lot of nerves. Uh, I haven't really done a high-profile interview like this in quite a while. So to be able to actually interview her and pick her brain about the how she got to where she is now and then what she did beforehand building up was really nerve-wracking. And even to start off the interview, you actually tell when you hear it. I, both me and my co-host actually looked at it, and we were just – shaking trying to trying to get in there and trying to make sure that we didn't like mess up any of the wording of our questions along with trying to actually make sure she understood them as well right got it what about you jenner um i didn't really have to ask any questions because i did most of the editing but it was i was more excited because it like you know she's kind of a big deal it was, it was really cool <laughs> yeah, and she's kind of a big deal yeah you, you could tell that um she's done it many times before because she was very good at disengaging all of us and she just made us feel more comfortable about it because like Kevin was saying it was kind of shaky in the beginning mm -hmm. so she just kind of um there was like she, we just started like talking about like personal stuff it mm -hmm. was like 15 minutes that I had to cut out in the beginning before we even started the interview so it was like really cool that she noticed that and she took action like immediately right what kind of action what do you mean just the disengaging oh gotcha right so yeah that, that must have helped so what what if whatever the listeners have to look forward to in terms of the personality of Kim Alpert? Well, what the listeners are going to be in store for is when me and Tay actually do our questions, we don't really talk that much. Most of the interview is going to consist of Kim herself, uh, her personality and her charisma, along with just how she words everything. You're just going to be in awe. And when the interview actually gets done and when you're finished with the episode, you're going to be like, I'm going to go back and re-listen to this because she just has so much there that you're going to want to listen to it again to make sure that you get the full idea of what she's come from, what she's been through, and how she's built her brand. Right, absolutely. Like I, I'm just really excited for what the listeners have ahead of them because, you know, of course I was just way, way kidding about her being um, shy and retiring. She's just incredibly depthful and fun and full of great advice and knowledge, and I'm so glad that you guys got to – uh, sit down with her and have that conversation. So speaking of that, what what did you guys walk away with? What was your kind of takeaways from that interview with her? Uh, what I took away from the interview was a lot. Um, it She really opened my mind on a lot of things like pursuing what I want to do for my future along with thinking of ways to actually build upon that and uh, build multiple different things off of it as well. She really gave you 
in-depth knowledge that you take to your grave basically so when you're three or five years away and you've built your own personal brand you think of that interview you think of what she told you and what she gave you to go away with and you really look at that as the start of what you're doing awesome what about you jenner was there any you know you you're the, you spent a lot of time with her in terms of sitting down editing listening re-listening to her uh, sound bites and all of what she said. So, what was your takeaway? Uh, I I would say um, pretty much like staying just staying true to yourself because you you could tell that that's how she was. She even like spoke about it when she like was in full sale. She mentioned how there would be multi millionaires in her classroom and they would have all the like the latest tech and all that and just how that didn't really discourage her. If anything, it pushed her more. And you can also just tell by how open she was and the profanity I cut out, how nice, like, you know, she, she really stayed true to herself. And it's, it's, that's the most important thing is to not lose yourself when you're doing all of this. Well, guys, thanks so much. Um, I really appreciate all of you, uh, your work and especially, uh, the way that you pulled together as a team and, um, brought us this awesome podcast. So can't wait to hear it. Thank you. Thank you. And on behalf of the entire Hall of Fame 9 podcast team, we're excited to present to you Kim Alpert. Here she goes. Here it goes. Here it comes. Here it is. Hello, this is Tasia Turner. And I'm Kevin Drake. And we were given the amazing opportunity to sit down with Full Sail alumni who earned her digital arts and design degree here. And she is also a Hall of Fame 5 inductee, Kim Alpert. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I think I can speak for all of us when we say thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with us and giving us some of your time today. So we have a few questions for you. I watched your talk, Why Would You Can't? And it was really inspiring because I personally resonated with it. And you spoke about how once you overcome this wall of I can't do this or I don't think I'll be able to do something, the amazing things can happen. And for you, you were inducted into Hall of Fame and you started your own business, Make Amazing. But then you also mentioned you got into a really bad car accident and then you got sick. But you still persevered through that, obviously, and you did some more amazing things after that. And I always want to know, like, while I was watching the talk, what kept you going or what keeps Kim going when life happens? Well, that's a great question. You know, a lot of times people ask me, like, because I'm, I'm one of those people that does a lot of things, right? And they're like, well, how, how do you do so many things? Why do you do so many things? And the truth is, I just don't want to do laundry. So I just stack up things to prevent having to do laundry more than anything else. But in all seriousness, you know, when it comes to that particular talk, you know, I did that talk for the first time before I got sick. And the talk really evolved over the first year that I was doing it. And it just kept being really relevant to me, this idea that we use the word can't in a context where it doesn't fit. You know, we limit ourselves within the words that we use and create a boundary or a barrier that isn't already there. And it's a concept that's also really prevalent in neuroplasticity, and that has to do with rewiring your actual chemical makeup of your brain. When I started really digging in and wanting to learn more about that and how that worked and really thinking about the language that I use and the way that I'm kind of charging myself with being able to see what I'm capable of, there was so much in my early life and in my early career that was fear-based. 100%. And I talk to folks a lot about that. You know, you'll think like, oh, I'm being excluded. I'm not invited to this. I shouldn't be there. That kind of thinking when nobody's even considered you. And it's not that they're like being inconsiderate of you. It's just that 
people are really busy. People are thinking about their shopping list or like a number of other things going on in their life. So we're allowing there to not be any space for us as much as we're not taking up that space. So for me, I think one of the big things was deciding that like I had permission to do whatever I wanted. And that some of that comes out of getting hit by a car, some of that comes out of trauma. You just start to feel like you're in bonus rounds, like all this time. And I feel like that all the time. Like this is all such extra gravy, you know? I didn't even know that there was a Hall of Fame when I got in, you know? I was so consumed with just doing great work, you know, really caring, having intention and, and doing it the right way. And then the universe just was like, okay, we got you, here's a reward for that. Like it just kind of, it happens. But if you're focused on it, I don't feel like it happens when that's the goal. You know, like, I don't feel like people win awards when their goal is to win awards. You know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Speaking on your awards, you've received many accolades for all your accomplishments in the industry. Um, and I believe personally that would be a driving force to make me want to do like greater things. Mm -hmm. So would you mind sharing a goal you might have for 2018? Wow, 2018 is already shaping up to be a really awesome and kind of kooky year. I honestly don't make goals anymore, you know? And that's been a little bit, like I have personal goals, like spiritual growth goals and like kindness goals and that kind of some meditation goals, you know, like that kind of thing. But career-wise, you know, I, I think I, I wrote it the other day on a, a photo. I just played a show at Symphony Hall in Chicago. And like, nice. that's not a place like mixing video and being an experimental artist. You never like, oh, I'm gonna play Sym Symphony Hall. That that makes a whole lot of sense for experimental art. No, like that's not even on my radar, you know? And I think I wrote something to the effect of like, you know, I don't make goals. I just will set an intention. And I just trust that the universe is gonna be like, this is the goal for that. And now you're there because I can't, I can't even believe some of the stuff that's already happened. So like the idea, like if I set something up, it just, I couldn't even fathom it at this point. Like there's stuff I'd like to do, you know what I mean? Like I'd love to do some stuff at the Getty. I'd love to do some stuff at the MoMA. But that's the same stuff that I've been thinking about since I was like a little kid, mm -hmm. you know? Like that's not new stuff and it's not like, you know, I'm really focused on a project that I have about, you know, transformational growth and death and the release of spiritual energy. So I'm really in love with that project. We just got our first grant. So, you know, kind of just making sure that that piece is as good as I want it to be, that it's saying the things that I want to say, that it looks the way I want it to look. That's the goal is getting the piece right. Everything that happens after that is just kind of like extra bonus rounds. That kind of goes with what your first answer was. When yeah, you were just I mean, like, that's like it across yeah. the board. I'm a simple lady. Like you don't really make the goals like, you know, and then what happened, like when you said you had that awesome year, and you were like, you didn't know about Hall of Fame and all that, but like it happened anyway, you know? Yeah. They kind of just go together. Well, that's the thing. And that's, you know, 2014 for me, you know, being an awesome year and coming into the Hall of Fame, like it was an awesome year, but it was a really hard year. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in hospice with one of my best friends watching him die four weeks before I came down here to get inducted. You know, I landed the biggest client that my company had ever seen two weeks after that and then was hit by a car six weeks after that. And then eight weeks after that, I got my first international speaking opportunity. And then four weeks after that, I wound up in the hospital. So it was one of those things where like, it's just big stuff, you know? Like I am a person as an artist where I was just like, I want a big life. I wanna know a lot of people. I wanna know them deeply. I wanna make a lot of work. I wanna make it with my full heart. And difficult, challenging stuff comes with a big life. You know, if I was out on the prairie, like not having the internet 
and just like sowing some seeds and eating some beets right. like that'd be real <laughs> simple times you know like wouldn't have a lot of that stuff but that's part of the sacrifice of wanting a big life so you have to kind of take the good with the bad you don't get to skirt around the sacrifice right. and get all that reward that's just kind of not how it happens so where's like the coolest place your job has taken you you know, as a speaker, I've been lucky enough to go and um, do FITC, the creative conference in Amsterdam for several years. And I just played at the BIM house there um, with Mike Reed's Flesh and Bone. And that's become one of my really favorite cities. And not for like all the like cheesy Amsterdam kind of party time stuff, but the people are really open. They're really loving. They remind me of the people of Chicago a lot. Um, and I had the, the good fortune of becoming friends. I actually like first on Twitter and then in person, which is like kind of a cool way to like right. meet an artist that you're really into, um, with Julian Bale, who is, which I can't, I mean, him saying his name is way cooler because he's French, so like I say it and it sounds like he's gonna be like a mailman in Iowa, but he's like, <laughs> Julian Bale, like he's got a, a great accent. Um, he's out of Marseille uh, in the south of France and I was lucky enough that I was in Europe for work and he and I have been talking for a long time about we had met um, a couple years ago when he was playing some shows in uh, in the States, in Houston. And we've been talking a lot about collaborating and working together, and I was lucky enough that I was able to take some time when he was available and get to Marseille, and um, was just blown away by that city. And now I'm excited to be launching some collaborative stuff with him in 2018 and see where that goes. So as a strong advocate for technology and everything, it can help us achieve in our careers. How do you personally believe that social change can happen through technology? Wow, I think there's a lot of ways it can happen with technology, and I'm I'm hopeful that we start to see more access being really at the forefront of what we're doing as technologists. Just in the in the types of work that I've seen, when you start having a larger population have access to broadband, have mm -hmm. access to digital cinematography, there's such a big kind of like just spread of wealth and of different situations within Chicago, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've been active in seeing how technology really changes communities when young people have access to be able to document and express themselves and capture. You know, we have all of these different mediums to create, and within that, we can actually carve out a narrative for our own experience. And it's a really powerful psychological tool, just at the fundamental humanist level of how that creates social social change. When you look at you know, the ability within, you know, I had a conversation with a young man who was, you know, 3D printing shoes to be able to give to the workers that are inside fields in Sudan because there are, you know, thousands upon thousands of people who, who wind up dying because they just don't have proper footwear while they're yeah. working in fields. Like, these are very real problems that are incredibly solvable through technology because there isn't a supply chain that makes sense to get those shoes made another way because right. all of the supply chain goes back to you know impoverished and disenfranchised and child labor and things like that but if you have the ability within a machine and we just make this robot spit out a bunch of shoes you know <laughs> what i mean like then we're in a situation where we can actually evoke that change without cannibalizing another culture in the mm -hmm. meantime and there's i mean there's a bunch of stuff out there that's really impactful that way people who are really focused on technologies and ways to kind of create communities being together i'm pretty hyper focused within young people and mobility because it's something that was so impactful to me and is very important to me and access you know i was really startled years ago um, and i felt very naive being startled by it as well 
I was reading a magazine or, or what have you, and there was an ad, and it was like a map, and it was a McDonald's ad, mm-hmm. and it was an ad for McDonald's that said that McDonald's had free Wi-Fi. That's it. There was no food in the ad. And then I started thinking about it and talking to people, and I was like, what a weird ad. Like, mm-hmm. isn't that so strange? And they were like, well, you know, then they started going, you know, deeper with me and like, let's look at the ads for cell phones. Let's look at how many households you know, within the neighborhoods that McDonald's is truly serving within the urban communities that have broadband, that have access and things like that. And then you start kind of unraveling at this like kind of weird value proposition that this fast food chain is now giving away broadband so that they're giving access so they're getting people in. And Mm -hmm. it's like this really kind of odd roundabout way of allowing folks to be able to have the access to information, but at the same time cannibalizing them with poor nutrition. It's a very American problem, too. You know, I feel like we have a much... We create the largest amount of media in the world, and we have the most media illiterate Western society. I feel very confident saying that statement right now. (laughs) It's a little bit painful right now, um, in particular. And I think, you know, the access point in information is a big problem with that, without having enough free Wi-Fi, you know. My uh, my brother-in-law is an IT manager, and he said something really prolific many years ago at this point and he said broadband's the new property when you own the highway you own the highway right. and like it was just one of those things and when he said it I was like what does that even mean dude <laughs> and like kind of like brushed it off and then I started to think about it more and more and now as we're seeing these like disruptive you know uh, blockchain currencies and things like that and you're thinking about the pipeline and the access and the different ways to be able to use currency and you're thinking about the bandwidth and being able to put through data it really is this interesting way of approaching, you know, the globalization of, of information and structure within a society. So, you know, that's one of the things for me, you know, personally, there's an expression in advertising that I really like. You know, when you start out in advertising, they talk about above the line, below the line. Above the line is broadcast. Everything else is below the line. And there's a concept that has become really prevalent, especially with the rise of the dot-com and digital called through the line, where you take one concept and one idea and it moves through everything. And, you know, I decided, you know, very early on, and it's something that I I grow with and refine, is that I want to take my value system through the line on who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. So I can't just talk about, you know, social change. I can't just talk about, you know, supply chain and where things come from. I have to live it. Right. So, you know, I make a point to, you know, buy clothes that are sewn in Brooklyn from, you know, makers who get their cloth sourced the right way Mm -hmm. and designers who are paying fair wages all the way through where the buckles get made. You know, that's, I will put my money, I will use my dollars to be able to further the movement and the advancement of my values. And folks that aren't willing to take it to that place to me, then they're not serious. Nothing about their conviction is serious because their idea of value lies with paper, lies with a fictitious system Mm -hmm. instead of an actual system of their care. There's a brilliant woman who I always, always quote and recommend named Anita Roddick, who's no longer with us, but was a a huge advocate in, in England for a lot of the things that happen within fair trade and within the marketplace there, within getting GMOs out of baby foods. And she said, if you want to see, you know, the change will only come from the vigilante consumer. And I really do believe that, you know, when folks use their dollars as a way to cast a ballot every time they're making a purchase, 
we will really see change. And I think sports is a great example mm-hmm. where, you know, you have a lot of people who are, you know, taking an opportunity because they have the platform to say some very powerful and very important things that are very powerful and that are very important. But until we actually see the movement of the commerce change and the, the position of where we put the dollar changing, the actual impact is going to be much different. It's great to be a conversation starter. It's important. It was important in the 40s when we saw it at the Olympics. It's important as we see it now today in major sports. But what we do to follow up and pay off on that conversation starter is what creates change and legacy. Otherwise, it's just a conversation. Well, I feel like my IQ just boosted talking to Kim just now. Mm-hmm. Again, thank you so much for thank sitting down guys. and talking to us. I had, I think it was a great conversation. I had fun. Did you have fun? Oh, definitely. Every, <laughs> like everything you said, knowledge everywhere. Your personality is above the roof, and just I feel like anywhere you go, I need like, someone you make to make an, an impact on everyone. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's yeah. so sweet. All right. Well, thank you. I am Tasia Turner, and I'm Kevin Drake, and um. That's it. (laughs) It's a wrap. It's a wrap. (laughs)